Welcome to Clets Heads, the podcast about bilingual children. My name is Sharon Onsworth, linguist at Radboud University in Nijmegen, the Netherlands, a mother of two bilingual children. In this episode of Clets Heads, we talk about trilingualism, so children who are growing up with three languages. What can you realistically expect as a parent and what can you do to help your child's multilingual development? In Let's Clets, we hear from parent Sarah about how the lockdown has had a positive impact on her daughter's bilingualism. And we have not one, but two Clets heads of the week. Trilingual brothers Gabriel and Elliot teach me some Czech and tell me about why they think it's important to know more than one language. Keep listening to find out more. There are many children in the world who don't grow up with one or two languages, but with three and sometimes more. Now, there are different ways in which children can become trilingual. They might live in a country where trilingualism is the norm. So everyone grows up with three languages. Think, for example, of India, countries in Africa, Switzerland, Luxembourg. They might also become trilingual because they learn two new languages at school. For example, in the northern province of Friesland here in the Netherlands, children might speak Frisian at home and then learn Dutch and English at school. Or they become trilingual because their parents each speak a different language to them and they learn a third language outside the home. Think, for example, of a Swedish-speaking father and a French-speaking mother growing up in the UK. This is the type of trilingualism we're going to be focusing on in this episode of Clets Heads. Probably the most frequently heard worry from parents of trilingual children, especially as they're setting out on their parenting journey, is that three languages might be too many and that the child won't end up learning any of them very well. Is this worry justified? To what extent are children able to keep the three languages apart? And will it take trilingual children longer to learn their languages compared with children growing up with just one or two? What do we know from research with trilingual children? We're going to answer these questions and more with the help of Simona Montanari, researcher at California State University in Los Angeles in America. Simona is one of the few people who's done research on trilingual children and she's also raising her own children, now teenagers, trilingually. She'll tell us more about that in a minute. But I started by asking about the concern that I just mentioned that many parents have, that offering three or more languages might be too much for a child, that they might get confused by it, or that it might be difficult to keep them apart. Simona explained how these worries are really not necessary. Babies who are growing up with three different languages are building separate language systems for each of their languages. So this issue of confusion is really more just a myth. And I think it's very much related to the myth that with on bilingualism as well. Um, when we look at also like language development milestones, such as babbling at around six months or first word production at around one year or, or combining first words at around 18 months, um, we know also that Just as bilingual children, trilingual children are not delayed, meaning that they're not going to start speaking later because they're here in three languages. Of course, they might start speaking in just one of the three languages. Mm -hmm. uh, for instance, like for my daughter, my youngest one, she started speaking at around 10 to 12 months in Italian. But really, like her English production didn't happen much until like over two years of age. And so this, again, goes back, as in the case of bilingual development, with amount of input, right? So we know that when the child's input or the, the amount of language that the child hears is divided in three, well, the child is hearing less of each language. And therefore, um, if a child will be more developed in the language that he or, or she hears more, and that's just kind of, I think... Uh, expected. Uh, but that doesn't mean that children will then start speaking later or will meet certain language development milestones later. We cannot expect the child at 12 months to just produce English, Italian, and Spanish. We should not expect that the child at 18 months is combining words 
in the three languages. So this asynchronous development, I mean, like basically development that happens first in one language and then later in another language, this is just part of, again, trilingualism because of the input being divided in such a way. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned your own situation. Maybe you can tell us a bit about the, the situation in your house. Yeah, so I'm a native Italian speaker. And uh, so my daughters grew up like hearing Italian from me, uh, English from dad. My, my husband is American. And we had a nanny that we hired for up to 40 hours a week in Spanish from when they were born. We actually planned our first four or five years of life around Italian and Spanish because we thought this is, and I will talk about this, but it's very important to really put a lot of input in these minority languages early on because we knew that the children would learn English living in the U.S. anyway. Mm -hmm. And so basically, uh, my daughters heard a lot of Spanish and a lot of Italian. Dad was working all day, so he was only there, you know, in the evening, on weekends. And so I always, you know, early on, we always said English was our daughter's third language, the least developed. I still have videos of my, my oldest at age five. And while she has really complex sentences in Italian and then Spanish in the middle and English, like very basic. You know, like I have a fever, I want to go there, kind of like that. And so by doing this, though, the children developed, I mean, they they have like native Italian accent, near native Spanish, and then English was very accented, very somewhat you know, if you want to call it, I want to say delayed, but it wasn't like like the English of monolingual speaking children at age mm-hmm. five. Um, they entered the school system as, as English learners, which is a label in the U.S. given to students who come from homes where another language is spoken. Some of the parents were kind of laughing and saying, wow, I can't believe that these are the daughters of Robert, my husband, because, you know, he's American, but the children really spoke I don't want the D's, you know, with the with the real Italian accent in their English. Sure enough, by 15 and 16, they, like their English is completely native and they're doing really well academically in English. So obviously it just like it's a process that takes time. But what we learn is that the children can learn the societal language because they live here and, you know, all their experiences are in English. Uh, but if we hadn't put that emphasis on Italian and Spanish early on, most likely, especially given the American context, they might not have even be speaking Italian or Spanish. Right. That's amazing, right? If you think about that, that their accents were, were so strong in English, then that that presumably is now completely disappeared. If parents are listening and, are, and are, have got young children and are thinking, mm, I'm not sure that the kids are quite where they need to be right now, then they should keep hope. Another question that parents often ask, and that's, what about when there's more than three languages, right? Because there are families where there are four languages in the mix. When is it too much, right? That's a question that I get a lot. What would you advise about that? Yeah, it's a really tricky question. Again, there's like no research on children growing up with four, five, six languages. I think the uh, in general, because we know that input is so important, And we want to make sure that the child has at least a certain level of language development to support cognitive development. If the child was hearing five or six languages and had only a few words in each, he might not have enough to really like be able to, I guess, be, I mean, you want the child to be at least in one language at a level where other children would be, even if monolingual or bilingual, et cetera. So I would kind of discourage from exposing the child to speakers of five or six languages from birth, because I would feel that that the child would not build, build a foundation in any of these languages. And so I would say, I mean, try to focus maybe on three at most, and then you can later on when the child is somewhat proficient in one language, at least introduce other languages later on. There is not much research on that. This is just kind of my thinking. But what we know is that we want at least one language in which the child feels enough, you know, able to communicate. Because what happens if you have a child who knows words in six different languages, but it still hasn't able to put them together to communicate? I don't think we want to create that scenario either. And so um, maybe if there are four languages in the family, in the situation, you could still do something where you can make sure that at least in one language, the the child is hearing a little bit more of one language to make at least, you know, to give the foundation in that one. Yeah, so it's not impossible, but it requires some thought to think about what what the languages are going to look like for the child, right? Which language are they going to be able to function in at an appropriate level? So children are perfectly capable of learning three or more languages and keeping them separate from each other. 
How quickly they learn the languages depends in part on how much contact they have with them. Language input is certainly important, but it's also good to realise that it's not all about how much input you get. A recent study by Karolina Miaskowska and her colleagues is relevant here. These researchers looked at Polish-speaking children growing up in England. The children were five years old and some of them spoke Polish at home and English at school, so they were bilingual. And other children spoke another language alongside Polish at home, so they were trilingual. Now, despite the fact that the trilingual children heard less Polish at home than the bilingual children, their scores on the vocabulary tests that the researchers used were similar. The bilingual children also recognised as many words as monolingual children, so children in Poland who were growing up with Polish only. But their active vocabulary, so how many words they could say themselves, was lower. The trilingual children had lower scores than the monolingual children on both counts. Now, when it came to the school language, so English, the picture was quite different, as there were no differences at all between groups in English. So both trilinguals and bilinguals scored as high as monolinguals. So these results actually underscore what Simona was just saying, namely that it's a good idea in the early years to concentrate on the language or languages that are not spoken at school. Although it might not always go smoothly at the start, as Simona told us in the case of her children, in most cases children will learn the school language without too many problems. More than three languages is possible, but it is a good idea to make sure that there's at least one language that children hear a bit more of so that they will definitely learn to express themselves in one of their three languages and so that they can use it to learn other things, so to help their general development. All in all then, raising a child in three or four languages takes some time and effort and it's a good idea to regularly have a think about what's needed to support your child's multilingualism. This is called family language planning. If you want to hear more about this, listen to the first episode of Klet's Heads where we talk about this in more detail. Up till now, Simona has mostly talked about younger children. I asked her what parents can do when their trilingual children get older. Just basically be patient. I mean, just know that trilingualism, just like bilingualism, but even even more so, is really just a, a long-term project. And it's a, also like a continuous long, I mean, project. It's not just say, okay, I'm done. Now the kids are 10. They speak three languages. I'm done. It is really like a lifelong commitment. I did continue to hire the babysitter until two years ago. And my daughters are now 15 and 16. They didn't need a babysitter. <laughs> But I kept doing it because they could only study Spanish in high school. And so that was the only way for me to keep uh, the Spanish input and, and, you know, some practice. Even a language that was fairly established early on, uh, my kind of, uh, the child might lose abilities in that language if they stop using it altogether. So there's a major difference, at least in the U.S., from like, say, up to age five, when you, the child is still really under like parental control or influence, when the child begins education, that's that's when uh, sometimes the challenges begin, because the child then will really be drawn to the societal language. I think many parents will recognise this, regardless of whether your child is being brought up in two, three or four languages. When your child goes to school, you often see that there's more emphasis on the school language. And then it can be difficult to keep up the other language or languages. This means that parents of multilingual children often find themselves having a very bilingual and sometimes even trilingual conversation. You might speak your own language to your child, but he or she consistently answers back in a different one, usually the main language of wherever it is that you live which is most often the same language children learn at school. This was certainly the case for our next guest, at least until the lockdown. Let's class! Hello, I'm Sara. I live in London and I speak Italian with my daughter. And how old is your daughter? She is five years old. So you speak Italian with her and do you have a partner and what language do they speak? Yeah, my husband is American, so speaks English with my daughter. And she goes to school, I guess. Yeah, in England, she starts reception year, the first year of formal school. Uh, so yeah, it's the first year. 
And that's all in English, right? That's all in English, yeah. Yeah. So why did you decide to raise your daughter bilingually? Well, that was quite natural. I mean, very intentional, but it wasn't really a choice. My parents don't speak English. My family doesn't speak English. So I really wanted my daughter to be able to engage with them. But also, I, I've been a preschool teacher and I realized that I miss a lot of the you know baby talk in English. So it was just natural for me to engage in Italian. And how's it going with her bilingualism? It has always been well in the sense that she was 100% a passive Italian speaker in the sense that she was understanding everything. Uh, she's never really engaged with me very much in Italian or until lockdown and then everything changed with the pandemic and she's become practically fluent in both languages. Right. So that sounds quite an exciting story. So before the pandemic, you spoke Italian and she spoke English back, yeah. which I think many listeners will recognize as a situation. It happens a lot. Tell us what happened during the lockdown that made her change. We knew that she had the words. We knew she had them all. And sometimes she would throw in some Italian words of, you know, the most relevant, like nappy or things like that. But I think with the first lockdown in England, she was she was home from nursery for 10 weeks uh, and it became very clear since the beginning that daddy can't play family <laughs> so mommy <laughs> back doing all the pretend play in hindsight of course it was a nice thing because I think through pretend play as she kept hearing me speak Italian uh, she gained more confidence uh, but she was still answering in English. With the second lockdown, I think that was key. My mom was here and got stuck in England for six weeks. And she doesn't speak English at all. My daughter knows that I can speak English. So why should I use Italian? But with my mom, it was clear that she had to speak Italian. So she started answering back. And since then, it's been an explosion. And when my mom left, all of a sudden, she turned around and spoke to me in Italian. Both me and my husband, who's always been very supportive, we were in tears. We got to the point where it was quite hard to discipline her if she was answering back in Italian because we were so excited about listening <laughs> that we couldn't get upset. So it was quite a weird dynamic. But yeah, it's just so sweet. All the work paid off, but not just all the work, just like I was so worried she could never have a real connection with my parents and with me. So uh, that's such a lovely story to come out of the pandemic, right? Have you got any tips for other parents about how they could try and make the most of what you've experienced in a non-lockdown situation? Yeah, so for me, it came down to two things. One, really engaging in what she loves. I really engaged in pretend play, which is massively important for her. So I think really choosing a type of play and a topic that really interested her. But I think also my reaction. Again, I think I was very uptight. Every time that she was answering in English, naturally my reaction was like frustrated or sad. And I think she felt that. And now instead there's pride and encouragement and if she answers in English I don't put her off anymore yeah so positivity and really finding the thing that they like so let's talk a bit about school then so how does your child's teacher view her bilingualism have you ever had conversations about it do they do anything with it at school well, we're lucky we're in London, so lots of children in her classroom speak at least another language, uh, so it's quite common here. I don't think they do anything specific, but they were amazingly supportive. The last couple of weeks of lockdown, for example, uh, my daughter did a sort of like advent calendars with the window to do the countdown to going back to school. She wrote it all in Italian perfectly by herself. I was amazed. Uh, and we took a picture and sent it to the teachers. And their reaction was like, oh, that's amazing. And now I know how to say February and March in Italian. So all these little positive messages. Uh, and, you know, we were talking with them about like, yeah, she doesn't really want to read very much in English. It's like, ah, don't worry. You know, she's learning Italian and then she'll come back. She'll be fine. So just these very simple gestures that I think, one, as a parent, is very inclusive. And two, in general, it's just natural in the schools. Yeah, so even tiny little things then, you're saying, can make the world of difference. 
So what's the biggest challenge then for you as a parent of a bilingual child? It's a constant journey. I won a battle and I was like, oh, what about reading and writing? I need to worry about that now. So I try to take a deep breath and not take it again as a battle. And I'll worry about that next year. I found the right strategy and then she's in an age where that strategy won't work anymore. So it's a constant adjustment. Yeah, it takes effort. But I suppose, you know, the constant adjustment thing, I recognize that from other parts of parenting too, right? Especially when the kids were little, you thought you just figured out how to get them to stay at the table and eat their dinner. And then all of a sudden something happens and they won't do it anymore. Yeah, and I think the other bit is my husband has always been like 100% supportive. And he understands a little bit. So when she was little, he could easily read the book in English or understand our basic conversations. As conversations are getting more complex and books get more complex, it is a little harder as a family to engage. And so I often have to either translate or he's left out or we're trying to like say something to her and he doesn't know that I've already told her. So I think the dynamic there is getting a little trickier. I was like so obsessed with not speaking English to her. And now I loosened up a little bit for the sake of communication. Yeah, yeah, I hear that from other parents as well, that there comes a point where you realise communication is also really important no matter what language it's in. Yeah. Yeah, it's really tiring to constantly translate. Yeah, I can imagine. So what are you most proud of then? I think I am most proud of uh, my reaction. So my, my daughter was born in California, And we spent the first year there and the reaction to me speaking Italian to her was very different. I've even been explicitly told, oh, but why Italian is such a useless language in my face. (laughs) I think I'm proud of not letting those comments turn me off. And instead, it kind of like made me go even more convinced about it. Yeah, good for you. And what does the future look like then for your child and her bilingualism? I think the key for me at this point is that it's not just about Italian. She has just opened up a world about like, oh, there are so many languages and I'm curious about them all. She asked me if she can start studying Spanish. And then, of course, in a very nice way, she mocks daddy for his accent. So she's picking a lot on all those nuances. So it's just like the general journey about like multilingualism in general it's not about Italian anymore Uh, it's fun and exciting so I think she's gonna be interested to just explore more and then go on holiday and be able to speak the language uh, and engage with people so yeah super so let's finish with what would be your piece of advice for other parents what's your golden tip oof Don't get discouraged and don't underestimate the power of passive knowledge. Don't beat yourself up because your child only understands it. It's there and eventually it comes out. Let's class! What a wonderfully positive story to come out of what has been for many people a very challenging period. It was great to talk to Sarah about her experiences and whilst no one is wishing for another lockdown ever again, I hope her story will be reassuring to parents listening and feeling frustrated at their child's refusal to actively use one of their languages. There is always hope. We turn now from one Italian-speaking guest back to the other, back then to my conversation with Simona. Now, I often hear from parents that their trilingual children don't speak their three languages equally well. More often than not, one of the three is weaker than the other two. I asked Simona if this was inevitable. So I think the issue of dominance is pretty inevitable. I I doubt that there is a child that can be equally balanced in three languages. I mean, maybe early on, if uh, parents are good at crafting an environment where the child is really hearing like the same amount of each language, but once there's education... Unless, again, there is a type of education where the child is hearing three languages. Uh, But, you know, I doubt in general, I think that the unbalance or being stronger in one language and weaker in uh, in others, I think that's like, yeah, inevitable. But it's also typical. I think that, you know, realistically, it is okay that my daughter's Spanish is not, you know, like the Spanish of a Mexican, you know, speaker. And even when we look at situations where there is societal trilingualism, we look at Luxembourg, we look at, like you said, many places in India. 
India, Asia. Um, I don't think those speakers are expected to do everything equally in the three languages because right. these languages are used in different contexts, right? So there's one language for education, one language for business, one language for, for like the home or, you know, so that is totally totally appropriate. So we know for bilinguals, and we've spoken about that on the podcast uh, before, that uh, bilingual children, because they learn those languages in two different, often in different contexts, or they use them for different things, talk to different people, then they know different words. Presumably that is going to be the same uh, trilinguals, of course. But I know that you've done work on, you know, when children figure out when they do have what we call translational equivalents, right? So they know the word in, in both two languages or in three languages. Can you maybe tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, so this was part of my dissertation, and we actually tracked all the words that the ch- this child who was hearing Tagalog from mom, Spanish from dad and grandma, and English from her sister who was nine years older, we tracked from the very first word she produced Every day we track all her uh, new words until she had about 300 words. So she was learning these translation equivalents, so words that have the same meaning in different languages, but she had very few words that she knew in the three languages. And this is just looking at her by two years of age, so she's still very young. So they do learn words, especially if you're exposing them. Let's say we're at home and, you know, even in my context, you know, I would say, oh, you know, go on the divano, which is couch. And dad would say, oh, go on the couch. And then uh, the babysitter would say that too. So the children knew the word in the three languages because they had that exposure. But um, of course, there are also situations where children do not have exposure to all those three words. I mean, to all those three words. And so they will know some words in one language. They will know some words in another language. They might mix languages as they talk to you because sometimes they don't know one word in one language and they will borrow from the other. This is all typical. The research that I did early on for my dissertation is on a young child. It is looking at the emergent separate word order patterns, separate vocabularies, and that happens for sure. When it comes to interaction, I haven't studied it consistently with trilingual children, but I did find that my daughter at five would say, I like flowers purple. So she was basically applying the word order of Italian to English. My youngest had some of these funny constructions, like I like to go to the birthday of Nico, right? When we know in English, it's Nico's birthday. She had these at least until six, and six, seven years of age. In a minute, we'll come to ways in which trilingualism might be different from bilingualism, right? Because we've talked a lot about the ways in which actually the same factors are at play in, in trilingualism as are at play in bilingualism. But first, we're going to hear from our Klet's Head of the Week. Klet's Head of the Week. In every episode of Klet's Heads, we hear from a child growing up with more than one language. In this episode, we have two Klet's Heads of the Week, brothers Gabriel and Elliot. My name is Elliot, I'm eight years old and I live in France and I speak Czech, English, French. Czech, English and French, three languages living in your head. What's that like? It's very good. You can speak more than one language. You can talk more in other countries. Mm-hmm. And what languages do you speak at home? French and a little bit English. French and a little bit of English. And how come you know Czech? I'm born there, but then we lived here. Uh-huh. So your mom's Czech, right? Yes. Yeah. So does she speak to you in Czech? Not really. She does to speak English and Czech with her, but Czech we like almost never talk with her. Okay. But you still know it though? Yes. Okay. Which language do you prefer to speak? English. English. Uh-huh. And why do you prefer English? I really like talking it. I like how they talk the language. I like the accent. So I just like talking English. Yeah. So at school, what languages do you speak at school? Uh, French. But English with some of my friends. Aha. Uh-huh. So is that okay at school? Are you allowed to speak English? 
Yes, you can speak French, English, and uh, I don't know what you said, Allemand. Allemand? German. Wow. Is that nice to be able to speak more than one language at school? Mm, yes. You can speak of your friends, other languages. And do you dream at night when you're asleep? Yes. Yeah? What language do you dream in? French. How do you know? Because I'm in the dream and I hear when they talk. Mm-hmm. And you can remember when you wake up? Yes. Wow. Can you teach me something to say in Czech? Because I really don't know any Czech. 100 in Czech is sto. S-T-O. Sto. Sto. Yeah, sto. Sto. 100. Okay, we're going to finish by we say thank you and goodbye um, in a different language. So which language should we do? French or Czech? French. French? Ah, then I think I know how to say that. So, merci, Elliot, et au revoir. Au revoir. Hello, my name is Gabriel. I'm 12 years old and I live in France. I can speak French, English and Czech. French, English and Czech. What's it like having three languages in your head? It's interesting because knowing that if you say a word uh, in French in another country, no one will understand anything, so it's sort of strange. Uh Uh-huh. Do you do that sometimes, speaking French in a different country so that no one can understand you? No. No? Oh, that's very well behaved. And which language do you speak to your brother in? Most French. Most in French. Were you born in France? In London. Oh, in London. So you lived in England? Yeah, for a, a little bit. Which language do you prefer to speak? Maybe French, because I speak in French and I'm more used or I speak better French than the other languages. Is it easier to speak in French then? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I can imagine if you speak it all day at school, then it's probably easier, right, to speak it. How important is it to you that you can speak different languages? Important because I want to be able to speak with my family, my friends. Uh Uh-huh. So that you can communicate with everybody? Yes. Uh Uh-huh. And some people say that bilingual children are smarter than children who only know one language. What do you think? No, I don't think so. It doesn't change. My friend has a better grades than me and he only speaks French. <laughs> oh, well, there we go then. You know that animals sometimes make different noises in different languages. A cockerel in English says cockadoodle-doo. What about in French? Cocorico. Cocorico. Oh, that's quite different, isn't it? And what about in Czech? Can you remember? No. No, it's quite hard, right, to remember those kinds of things. Now, I don't know any Czech at all. I know French, but I don't know Czech. So maybe you can teach me some Czech. Dobry den. It's hello. Dobry den. Yes. And how do you count to three? Jedna, dwa, tři. Dena. Is that number one? Uh, Jedna. Jedna? Yes. Dva is two and three is three. Jedna, dva, tři. Tři. Can you think of a really difficult word to teach me? Rochlik. What does that mean? It's a sort of bread in Czech. Uh Aha. Rochlik? Rochlik. Rochlik. Yes. It's sort of the bread for hot dogs. It's what we eat when we go there. Aha. Uh-huh. So it's good food in Czechia, is it? Yes. Yeah? What's the best thing about being bilingual? Being able to speak to my family and friends. Mm-hmm. And are there any less good things? It's hard when you speak long time 
of a language, like um, when I go in Republic Czech, sometimes I forget the words uh, I used to know. That's frustrating, right, when that happens? Yes. Do you eventually remember them after you've been there for a little while? Yes. Yeah, I have that too. So I am English, but I live in the Netherlands, so I speak a lot of Dutch. And so sometimes I forget English words too. But when I go back to England, I remember them. It's good that, isn't it? You can dig things up out of your brain that you thought you'd lost and they reappear again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, so we always end by saying thank you and goodbye. So maybe you can teach me how to say that in Czech. So how do I say thank you? Dekuju. Dekuju. Okay, and goodbye. Ahoy. Ahoy. Yes. Dekuju, Gabriel, and ahoy. Dekuju. Let's head off the week. So far, we've been talking about the ways in which trilinguals are similar to bilinguals. We see that the same factors play a role in both contexts. So how much contact a child has with the language can matter. One language can sometimes influence the other. And children don't always know the same words in all of their languages. I was curious to know whether there are any differences between trilinguals and bilinguals. Now, of course, they're different because trilingual children know a third language. But does that extra language help in any other way? There is research with bilingual children which shows that they're better able to talk about language. So they have better metalinguistic awareness, as it's called. There's also research that shows that bilingual children are better than monolingual children when it comes to, for example, ignoring information that's not relevant or switching between tasks. This is called executive functions. And bilingual children have been claimed to have an advantage over monolingual children when it comes to these skills, precisely because they know two rather than one language. Now, if this is the case, I was wondering whether the benefits for trilingual children might even be greater. Uh, so I'm not super familiar with this research, but in general, we know that, for instance, multilingualism promotes this metalinguistic awareness. So my assumption is that if bilingualism promotes this metalinguistic awareness, then trilingualism should promote it even more so, because now instead of comparing two systems, you're comparing three systems. I feel that like knowing three systems, three language system definitely makes you even more so uh, paying attention or noticing these differences. There's also possibly like if parents are talking about these issues, then children might be more aware too. I mean, we had games where when my kids were two, two and a half, I mean, we're like, okay, how does the babysitter say for this? Or oh, she would say this. How does daddy say for this? So this was actually a game to increase this translation equivalence. And then how does mommy say for this? So even just by doing this game, you know, you're not saying what you say in Spanish, Italian or, or English. You're telling the child, remember, there's three ways of saying this. And yeah, yeah. it was depending on the person, but it is already kind of like awakening their metalinguistic awareness, you know, the existence yeah. of these three languages. You don't know of any like uh, research explicitly examining this? Uh, I don't know now about like any research on looking at metalinguistic yeah. awareness in trilinguals. I mean, research shows that adults who know more languages are also better at learning another language as opposed to one who only knows two. So I'm assuming, you know, it's a similar like it's it's a similar situation yeah. Yeah. there, right? So, yeah. Studying trilingual children is extremely complicated because you have mm -hmm. to collect data in three languages. It's so time consuming. And so there's really, unfortunately, there's very little uh, on what we know about trilingual children. So what other advantages are there then to being trilingual? Besides looking at these cognitive advantages, I think, I mean, just the practical socio-emotional benefits. I mean, I'm a strong believer that when children know the parents' language, especially in cases where parents might speak different languages. Um, it's very important for the child to know those languages, to really connect with the parent, to build a stronger uh, bond with the parent. I mean, even if the parent speaks the society language and the child speaks the society language, but for the child to know the parent's minority language is really connecting with that parent's heritage and understanding all about where that that parent comes from. And so I think socio-emotionally, it's very important that children develop these three languages. And then there's the practical benefits that will open 
opportunities, employment opportunities. Learning different languages also really opens, I think, uh, perspectives mm-hmm. or like can promote more of an understanding of like seeing the world in different ways. I grew up monolingual and in a small town. Actually, I'm from San Marino, so even a really like small country. <laughs> and we really kind of all thought the same and thought that anything that was a little different was was weird, etc. I see my children growing up with all of these different languages, different people, different ideas, different ways of doing things. And they're very, very open. They're very tolerant to different things. Just really the benefits of being able to talk more to different people mm-hmm. and have, being able you know, to have all these different perspectives. Yeah. And um, one of the questions that I often get asked by parents uh, who are uh, raising children trilingually is that what do they do when they speak different languages from each other? And they maybe don't speak each other's language, right? But so they got to know each other in English often, uh, is that so in a, in a different language. And then the child comes along and they wonder, you know, what do we do? Should we carry on speaking English to each other? There you really see your glass half full versus your glass half empty people because the glass half full people say, oh, my kid's trilingual because we speak English to each other and they're going to learn English. And the glass half empty people are worried that them speaking English is going to cause problems for the children. Now, I don't really know of any research looking at this. What do you advise to parents in this situation? So I think, you know, the research, and there's like some research looking at even the types of trilingual families that are most successful. Typically, the families that are most successful in raising trilingual children are families who speak the two minority languages at home and the child learns the societal language outside. Because if English is also the societal language, and if the parents are speaking English, well, the child is then exposed to that English also at home. I mean, he knows his parents are using English and he might be less... Uh, determined to also learn these two minority languages, right? But sometimes if that's the situation, there's nothing you can do. What you, I mean, so I would say if parents are comfortable enough to speak each other's language, then they should try to do that so that they can increase the amount of minority languages that the child is hearing. You know, I think they, it, it, they can continue speaking English. They can try to speak as much as much as possible their own language to the child, but they shouldn't have expectations, especially if English is not the societal language. Yeah, like here in the Netherlands, it's not. Exactly. Right? In the Netherlands, they shouldn't expect that the child is learning English by overhearing. There will be some learning, but research shows that the child need to needs to be addressed in that specific language to learn it. And so they shouldn't think that just overhearing parents is going to make the child already like fluent in English. Yeah. Um, so be realistic. That's good. That's the advice I give. So that's uh, we're, we're on the same page. So if, for example, you speak German and your partner Arabic and you communicate in English, it's unlikely that your child will become fluent in English on their own if listening in on your conversations is their only source of English language input. There's another challenge for families in this kind of situation. If you each speak a different language with your children, how do you make sure that communication runs smoothly when you're having a conversation as a family? This is a really tricky question. Ideally, you would want to adopt a strategy of what's called receptive multilingualism. This means that both parents continue to speak their native language, but they know enough of the other language to follow what the other one is saying. So you continue to speak German and your partner might not understand everything, but at least enough to follow the conversation. And then the other way around then for Arabic. Using this approach means that your child gets as much language exposure as possible in both home languages. Of course, this is only possible if you actually understand each other's languages or are willing and able to go to the trouble of learning them to some extent. If this isn't the case and you don't understand each other's languages at all, then choices need to be made. Which language is most important? What other resources are available to provide input in those languages? And which languages does your child actually need? Here too, a family language plan can help. Well, the the speaker can make a a specific effort in talking as much as possible. If you have limited time, you have three hours as opposed to like eight during the day in that language context, then 
shower the kid with like tons of language. And I remember many times thinking, oh, I'm so tired. I don't feel like talking. But I thought, well, we want to talk. So then that kid is still like hearing Italian in this little time. Expose children, you know, like to media. Now you can have so many materials on, on the internet. Sometimes even just like passive music. We did tons, tons of music and uh, audio books, uh, in, in Los Angeles, we drive a lot, so we would drive, and there were all these, like, stories in Italian, and they were being played. So just try to use all this to really, like I say, I like shower because it really gives a sense of, like, so much, like, going on the child, right, in terms of language, and I think that's that's how to do it. Yeah, even if a child uh, hears a language for less time than, say, a bilingual or a monolingual classmate or age mate, it's what you do with the time that you have, right? you can yes. really make an effort uh, as a parent to make that as 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 rich a exposure as you can it's not impossible it's just that in typical situations where parents work and they have other things to do i mean i mean it, it just requires all this effort and planning that not all parents might be able to do and that's all and so the most realistic scenario is that one language will be more dominant etc and that probably that's the case in all cases but Productive trilingualism can happen if, if again, like parents are putting a concerted effort. I, I would say what helps also is really to show to your child that you really value trilingualism. Yeah, yeah. Uh, basically, I've praised and praised my kids for being able to speak three languages so that they felt that maybe the extra effort uh, was worth it. So for the parents, just show how important it is and and make them confident about it. I mean, my daughter also points that I'm smarter than Velma from Scooby-Doo because I speak three languages and she doesn't. So <laughs> she just saw this as a, an advantage, even if when she went to school, like her English was clearly not like the English of the monolingual children. Uh, but you can turn things around, making them feel like this is actually really a good thing and not something like of a deficit. I wanted to add something. I think the issue of language similarity also plays a role. Uh -huh. I feel that my kids benefited from knowing Italian for their Spanish. I did do some studies, which I haven't published yet, but I looked at how much of their Spanish, uh, even in terms of word order, grammar, or like even the, the, the words that they use, the words that my daughters used in Spanish were Italian cognates, meaning they knew the Italian words and they could apply it in Spanish as well. They didn't really relearn all these words. In fact, probably they didn't have time to learn all these new words, but the Spanish that they used uh, was really based on their Italian knowledge. And so I feel that the closer the languages, probably the more successful children would be, right? So you could have a child in Barcelona that speaks Spanish and Catalan, and you can easily add Italian, probably because the three languages are so similar. And it doesn't mean that sometimes one makes little errors, but there's so much similarity there that that similarity creates this positive transfer so that child can use knowledge in one language to really like also use the other language. And I think this is really a, a big issue that um, happens less if you're speaking three languages that are completely different. Does that mean then that if the languages are too different, then it's going to be harder? Uh, I mean, I, I don't know for sure, but I have a feeling that it is, again, because if you're learning two languages, three languages that are completely different, then there's less of that positive transfer, right? There's less on that kind of leaning on whatever you know to produce in the other. As I said, my daughters often use Italian, I mean, words that were similar between Italian and Spanish because they knew them from Italian, or even they were improvising, right? Trying to say something in Spanish based on their Italian knowledge, which was still okay and understandable. Now, if you're dealing between, let's say, Mandarin and Italian, it's going to be hard to use your Italian knowledge to produce in Mandarin. So I think that language similarity there will like promote in a way like active, what I mean, active trilingualism. Of course, the child can still become productive in three languages that are very different that, but that would require even more I feel even more of that input even more effort yeah okay so again language similarity a very interesting topic but I think we'll have to save that for uh, another episode thank you Simona for sharing your experiences and your, what you've learned from the research with us thank you for having me what have we learned in this episode about trilingualism it's perfectly possible to learn three languages as a child. It's not confusing and children are more than capable of differentiating between languages. How quickly your child picks up the three languages in question depends in part on how much contact they have with them and how many opportunities they have to use them, which in fact is just the same as bilingual children. 
Because your child's language pie is divided into several pieces, it's more likely that there will be at least one language with less exposure, where there are fewer opportunities to use the language and perhaps less need to do so. This language will require extra effort. Whether you're willing and able to make this effort is of course entirely up to you and will depend on your specific situation. It's also worth remembering that raising a child with more than one language, whether that's two, three, four or more, is also a dynamic process. As we heard in Let's Clets, children may go through stages where they don't actively use one of their languages, even though they understand it perfectly well. But this can change over time. Much depends, I think, on which language or languages are spoken at school and whether the same language or languages are also given lots of space at home. Various studies have shown that the more the minority languages or the home languages or heritage languages, as they're sometimes called, the more that those languages are spoken at home and the more consistently, the greater the chances are that children will actually become trilingual. Actually, research into the language development of trilingual children is still in its infancy. As Simona just told us, doing research with trilingual children can be quite challenging. Many studies are about single children, or case studies, because it's often difficult to find enough children with the same three languages and who are about the same age, in the same location, and then also put together a team of researchers who are proficient in all three languages. I hope that in the future we'll manage to pay more attention to this group of children because I'm sure there's still a lot more to discover. If you want to know more about Kletzheads, go to kletzheadspodcast.org. That's where you'll also find more information about this episode. And if you want to make sure you don't miss an episode, subscribe to Kletzheads using your favourite podcast app. Make sure you select the English edition. And if you've enjoyed the show, why not share it with a friend? Thanks for listening. And as we say in Dutch, tot het volgende keer.